I love to think about younger people's inner narrative. My son Landon here, he, he, he asked me recently to help him study. And so he gives me his homework binder and he, he's got all these notes in there. So I'm like, Landon, you got to show me what notes we're studying here. And so he takes me to the first page. He's like, okay, we're going to start here, Dad. And then we're going to go all the way down to this last page where I drew a picture of a kid throwing his phone at a bird. And I have a picture here for you. Here it is, Landon's artwork. There it is right there. <laughs> And I said, Landon, why did you draw that picture? He goes, I don't know. So please pray for his inner narrative. That's right. <laughs> but you know what? Here in this series, we've been talking about those things that kind of go on on the inside of us, right? Those conversations that we have, those things deep down in our heart, those things that are happening uh, basically on a moment-by-moment -moment basis as we go through life. We begin to just discover like, wow, there's a lot going on in here. There's a lot of stuff going on deep down in my soul. And what we've discovered is the inner narrative in our life is powerful, but often it's negative and destructive. And throughout this series, our prayer has been that you have gotten into the habit. You have learned how to change the inner narrative, to, to stop the old way of thinking, the old way of believing, and really replace it with God's truth. And that's been the bottom line for this whole series, is that we replace our inner narrative or change our inner narrative by preaching to our soul. And I pray that you've been practicing that. I hope, I hope you've been getting better and better at that. And in this series, we've talked about all kinds of inner narrative struggles, right? We've talked about all kinds of things that get us down. We've talked about fear. Andrew talked about worthlessness. We talked about temptation. Joey talked about failure. Last week, I talked about sadness and depression. And all these wrestling matches we tend to have with our inner, inner narrative and our soul. But man, today, I don't want to tackle another specific inner narrative. Instead, what I want to do today is really paint a broad picture for you of what your life could look like if you had a healthy inner narrative. If your inner narrative was rooted in who God says you are and who God says he is, right? And so today, I really want us to kind of zoom out and realize something. I want you to realize how powerfully God could use you and I if our inner narratives were healthy and solid in him. And so today, that's what I want to do. But here is the problem. See, as long as we are struggling and our inner narrative is kind of a mess, as long as we have not taken a hold of God's truth and kind of shoved it on down deep in there, as long as we kind of just play it safe and kind of leave God's word at arm's length, then here's what's going to happen. We're going to stay stuck in the prisons of our current inner narrative, right? We're going to stay really stuck by those things that have owned us. We're going to be so bound up in fear, worthlessness, temptation, sadness, depression, failure. We're going to be so bound up in these things that we can't be used by God powerfully. So here's what I want you to think about. With a healthy inner narrative, you can walk into a room with this thought going through your head. How can God use me here today? But as long as our inner narrative is kind of a mess and we haven't rooted the truths of God down deep, then we're just trying to get through the day, right? We're not trying to make a huge difference for Jesus every moment of every day. We're just sort of kind of saying, oh God, just get me through this. And I'm telling you guys, God has so much more for you and I. There's so much for us to do. And he wants to use you. I don't care how young you are, how old you are. My 10-year-old is in this room here today. We've got some older people in the room. We've got some younger people in the room. I don't care how old you are. I don't care how long you've known Jesus. What I care about is the fact that God looks at you and sees you as someone he wants to use powerfully but it's gonna take an inner narrative. It's gonna take a soul that is filled up with the truths of God. And so how do we do this, you know? Well, what do we do to conquer this inner narrative thing so we can just be whole enough in God that we can go change the world? Well, I was listening to this podcast several months ago by a guy named John Gordon. And John was just sort of living life like everybody else. And he and his wife weren't followers of Jesus. They were kind of just doing the normal thing. And as they're coasting along, one day his wife walks in the room and says, John, I can't handle being married to you. 
She says, you're the most selfish, negative, miserable person I've ever met in my life and I can't take it. And he stopped himself and he reassessed his life. And in that moment, he began to really dive deep into some of his inner narrative and his soul and it took him on a journey and guess where he ended up? At Jesus. He found that Jesus could make him whole and then he began to preach the truth to his soul. He began to preach the truth of God's word and transform that inner conversation deep inside. And everything began to change. And now this guy is famous. He's written 17 books. He's brought in by NFL teams, NBA teams, MLB teams, huge companies. And he comes in, he talks about culture and how to change the culture. But he has this huge advantage because he knows something. He knows that God ultimately is the one that changes the culture of our soul, right? And so he asked this really interesting question. The question he asked is this, what kind of energy do you bring into a room? So he's standing up before all these 300-pound football players, and he goes, guys, what kind of energy do you bring into the room? Are you bringing an attitude into the room? Are you bringing some anger into the room? Or do you lift the room when you walk into it? Now here's the deal. He also asked another question. He says this, will you be a germ or a big dose of vitamin C? right? As you walk throughout your environments, your school, your work, your family, your friend groups, are you like a germ that kind of infests others? Or are you like a big dose of vitamin C? Now, some of you guys are going, oh, this is one of those churches where they talk about being positive, right? And having all those wonderful, nice thoughts and how that's going to do it, right? And they go around singing songs like this. Did you ever know that I'm my hero, right? No, that's not going to do it, okay? That is not the plan, I'm telling you right now, I love John Gordon and I appreciate what he's trying to accomplish and I know he he's working with a lot of secular circles and stuff so I understand the terminology he uses but I gotta tell you something today. We're not gonna talk today about bringing an energy into the room. We're gonna talk today about bringing God's presence into the room because that's what changes things, right? You don't need me to bring my energy into the room because if I come in the room and I give you all I got, I'm just like a tired 41-year-old who wishes I was in better shape and had hair down to my ankles. That's who I am, okay? And that helps no one, okay? And so I'm not here to tell you today, guys, just let's just be positive. We live in such a dark world. Let's just have a better attitude. No, we desperately need to have an inner narrative that is strong enough in the truths of God that when we walk into our schools, our offices, and our neighborhoods this week, we carry the Spirit of God. We bring the Spirit of God with us because that's what changes everything. I gotta tell you something tonight. It may not be easy to hear, but the truth is, is you either suck the life out of a room or bring the Spirit of God into it. Like that's really what happens in our lives. Either we walk into the room and we suck the life out of it or we let the room suck the life out of us or we bring the Spirit of God into it and everything changes. And see, that's the potential for all of us. But we've got to let God deep into our inner narrative if this is going to be possible. Because here's the sobering truth. Most of us, when we talk about transforming a room, when we talk about bringing the presence of God, and most of us are waiting for something. You know what we're waiting for? We're waiting for the perfect moment. We're waiting for our difficulties to all be in the rearview mirror. We're waiting for all of our prison doors to be opened. And here's what we believe. As long as we're wrestling with temptation, God can't use us. As long as we're struggling with some failures from our past or some worthless thoughts or some fear or sadness or depression, God can't use us. And we become paralyzed by our prisons, right? And some of us are waiting for that moment of release. And then I'll go bring the presence of God into the room, right? Man, I just want to cast a vision for you and I tonight that says don't wait. Don't wait. 
right there, wherever you are. Some of us are in various prisons, so to speak, tonight. Various struggles, various issues in our lives. And here's what I want to tell you. I'm not saying God won't get you out of your prison. I'm just saying he might want to use you while you're still there. And so, don't wait. But, but, but how do we do it, right? See, some of us tonight are saying, but Doug, if I'm being honest, I'm not okay. Like, I think you kind of have to be okay to be in this frame of mind where you go and change the world, you know? Like, I'm not all right, but here's what I gotta tell you tonight, guys. Sometimes, though you're not okay in yourself, you can be okay in God. I'm not telling you to be fake. I'm not telling you to walk into your school or your office this week, big plastic fake smile and your world's falling apart, but you're, you're faking it till you make it. That's not what I'm telling you. I'm telling you that though you might still be going through the very same things you went through last week, you can be okay in God deep down in your soul because of his truths about who he is and who you are. And you can walk into that same office with the same situations going on with a totally different attitude. And so we're going to talk about how this works tonight. This is especially important because we're headed into an important season, right? And this whole message is not like one of those messages where the whole point is just to get you to invite people to church next week. Next week. But I do want you to think about the fact that you have that opportunity this week. And some of us, if we're honest, you know, those cards were all out on the seat. Some of you are like sitting on them. You're like, I didn't even realize it was there. It's all like crinkly now. And I'm not giving that one out, right? You know, and so that's sitting there. We have more at the info desk you can take. Um, but, but some of you are like, I'm glad I sat on it because I wouldn't have given it out anyway. Because who am I to give it out? Who am I to invite somebody? Well, tonight, I want to just encourage you and challenge you, give you a vision for what God wants to do in you. I'm telling you, he sees a bunch of people in this room tonight ready to make a difference. And he is not looking at you going, I'll just wait till you're out of the thing. Just wait till you're out the gate. Just wait till that's done. He's saying, guys, there's a world around us that needs my hope and my love right now. And I can do deep inside your soul what you need done so that you can go be impactful out there. And so I hope we're in this together tonight. I feel like God is on the, on the brink of doing something big in our church. And my prayer is this, that uh, this is what I believe. This is what I believe. This is the only service I'm sharing this in. What I believe is that God right now is really equipping our church to unleash the people who are sitting in the seats. A lot of churches, you come and the people on the stage do this and the people on the stage do that. And you got your team in the back. They do a great job and you have these people. I'm telling you, I really believe God is equipping us so there's really no difference between the stage and the seats. And that's exciting. That's world changing. And so I hope tonight you will lean into what we're talking about tonight. If you're not a follower of Jesus, I hope tonight to share with you how to be whole. How to be whole. That God desires that for you. I hope tonight to share with you the love of Jesus as we look at something powerful here today. So we're going to learn from a guy today who changed every room he ever walked into after he encountered Jesus. And this guy was the biggest dose of vitamin C you ever met after he encountered Jesus. Complete mess before he encountered Jesus, but after everything changed. And we're going to see what a solid truthful inner narrative looks like that's rooted in God. And we're going to see the power of a life lived like that. In fact, the guy we're going to look at, his name is Paul. And what we're going to see him write, he wrote from prison. Now, he wasn't in a literal prison. He was under house arrest, but he was still in chains. And he was there for two years. He was chained to these guards every day for two years. And yet he says and does some things that make no sense if you're in prison. And that tells me that you and I can do and say some things that make no sense still when we're in prison so to speak. And so let's check out Philippians 4. I'm, I'm telling you right now, you're going to want the things that Paul has to tell us about. He says this from the prison cell, or from the house arrest rather, rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. See, a lot of us are waiting to rejoice until we're out of the prison cell, right? 
But here is Paul saying, rejoice. Now, I got to tell you something. Some really smart commentators and theologians say that Paul, the reason he wrote Philippians was, it's a letter, by the way, to the Philippians. That's why he's a very creative name there. But he wrote this letter out and sent it to the Philippians. Why? To reassure them and encourage them. Like, that's a little weird. Shouldn't they be reassuring and encouraging him? Shouldn't they be writing him letters and saying, Paul, don't worry, man, keep your head up. No, instead he's saying, guys, rejoice. And again, I say it, rejoice, give thanks to this amazing God that we have. And if that weren't enough, just a little bit earlier in Philippians, Paul says that his chains, his chains have made it possible for the entire imperial guard to hear about Jesus. Now, I don't know about what you think about when you hear the word imperial guard. I have a picture here of what I think about when I hear the words imperial guard, right? Like, that's not what he's talking about, okay? So get that out of your heads, okay? The Imperial Guard were these officers that were high up. They were a big deal. And they would guard the most important people and they would protect the most important people. And so it's thought that there's a possibility that the guy guarding Paul one day was the one watching over Nero the night before. And so these are really important, influential guards. And Paul is saying that because he's in this prison cell, all these people have gotten to hear about Jesus. Somebody once joked, who was chained to who, right? Because Paul is there chained to these guys. But man, he is preaching his heart out every moment. Can I ask you something? When you and I are in our prison, so to speak, isn't it kind of hard to preach about Jesus? Isn't it kind of hard to rejoice like Paul is telling us we should do and he must be doing as well? How can he do that? We're going to see how he can do that. It goes on. Verse 5, let your gentleness be evident to all. Paul, you're in prison, right? And you're talking about letting your gentleness be evident? When I go to Costco, I want to murder the people online in front of me, okay? Like, I don't know. If you ever see me in Costco, I'll, I'll give you a big hug and say hi, but I want you to take the register over there because I always get on the wrong line. I choose the line with the lady in front of me who says, oh, I got regular potatoes. I wanted red potatoes. Can I walk the 9,000 feet back to the red potato Costco room on Christmas Eve when there's 93 million people online? No, you can't because we will murder you. Like, this is getting serious, okay? I can't let my gentleness be evident to all in that environment. What does Paul know? That from the prison cell, he can say, or from the house arrest, rather, he can say, guys, I gotta tell you something. You know, like when the Philippian church gathered to read this letter, I guarantee nobody saw gentleness coming, right? Like how does he do this? How can he rejoice, preach his heart out, and be worried about gentleness to those who don't know Jesus? I can tell you how. He has so saturated his inner narrative, his core, his soul with the truth, that this stuff just doesn't shake him like it does you and me. And now listen, we know Paul's not like a superhero. He talks in the Bible and other places about being full of despair and being almost crushed to the point of death, and yet he always answers it with hope. So what does Paul know that you and I sometimes forget? Well, four words, the next four words. The Lord is near. The Lord is near. Paul, how are you okay in the middle of prison? Well, the Lord is near. I don't want to be here. In fact, in Philippians earlier, he tells us, I wish I could come be with you guys. I want to get out of here and be with you guys. But the Lord is near, and so I am okay. And can you just imagine how, if we kept that in view, if that were the thing informing our inner narrative, how it would carry us through all the struggles we've talked about in this series? Man, I'm so afraid, but the Lord is near. What do I have to be afraid of? I feel so worthless. Yeah, but you were created by God in his image, and Jesus died on the cross for you. You have great worth. 
Yeah, well, you know what? I just feel such a failure. Well, there's a Savior who died to cover all that. Well, I'm so sad and depressed. Well, you can have all the joy in God in the world because he, like we talked about last week, wants to plant you like a a tree of righteousness with roots down deep that can stand all the tests that come your way. Man, the Lord is near. 104 verses in Philippians and 95 times Paul uses the words Jesus, Lord, and God. Almost one per verse. Like, like that's full of Jesus, Lord, and God because he knows something. If the Lord is near, if God is near, if Jesus is near, I have what I need. Next, Paul challenges us to do something else that kind of seems impossible. He says, do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And then he says this, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, if I could just rephrase that, which makes no sense, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. What's Paul doing here? He's going, I should be freaking out probably. I'm waiting to stand before Caesar, who's gonna tell me if I'm gonna be executed or spend the rest of my life in jail. But I gotta tell you something. When I just come to my Savior with praise and prayer on my lips, just this peace takes over my life that I can't even explain. And this is some of you. Some of you get this. Some of you have been right here. And I just love that Paul, inner, Paul's inner narrative is so compounded with the truth of God. It's like he just can't get anything by this guy. And I gotta tell you something today. That same experience is available to you and me. You see, sometimes we think Paul was a superhero. No, this dude was legit. God used him incredibly, right? But what he tapped into is available to you and me. This inner narrative secure in who Jesus is and who we are because of who Jesus is. So yesterday morning, I woke up and I told you guys last week that I've struggled with sadness. I've struggled with seasons of depression. I woke up yesterday morning and and there was just a heaviness. You know those days you just wake up, there's just a heaviness. And there was just some, some fears. And I was having a really hard time shaking it. And I'm like, oh, it's my day off. I just need to be with my family. I want to play some ball with the kids. I want to go to the movies, watch Shazam, laugh a little bit, have some fun. And I'm thinking to myself, As of right now, this is going to be a horrible day because of how I feel. And I will suck the life out of them. And I will suck the life out of every room I walk into. And so I literally made a decision. It was either to let that be the rest of my day or to go to battle with my inner narrative and to grab a hold of the truths of God and preach them deep to my soul. And you know what? I was just driving down the road and I began to preach my message from last week to me again. I began to preach those verses about what God will do, about he will take our ashes and replace them with a crown of beauty and splendor, about how he will pour out on us the oil of joy and gladness, about how he will plant us like those oaks of righteousness. And before I know it, I am a different person. And it wasn't just a bunch of like nice positive talk I said to myself. It had to be the truths of God. A peace that makes no sense. In the midst of the same prison, a different person It only happens by the grace of God. Verse eight, finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about these things, right? Think about such things. See, Paul is is helping us realize that that's why he's okay because that's the only stuff he lets in. That's the only stuff he thinks about. And this is what our prayer has been through this series, that you and I would begin to catch everything opposite of that and keep it out, and only fill ourselves with that, right? When I was younger, I had a friend. 
I don't have any anymore. But when I was younger, I had a friend who was trying to get into like the club scene and do all that kind of stuff. And, and he got his hands on some fake IDs and some different things. And one of the fake IDs he found was a license that he found with a picture that looked kind of like him. And he's like, I think I could pull this off. And I don't remember the name on the license. Let's just say it was Tony. And so he goes all over to the club. He hands his license to the security guard. Security looks at the license and goes, hang on a minute. He goes into the club and guess who comes out? Tony. Tony worked at the club. Didn't go too well for my friend. But you know what? I want you to think about that security guard for a minute. Because you and I have to turn into security guards for our heart and our mind. We have to turn into security guards that say, no, no, no. I'm sorry. If you're impure, you're not allowed in here. If, if you're not the truth, then you're not allowed. And if you're not excellent or praiseworthy, I'm so sorry, but, but you can't come in. And I think about what that security guard did is he, he, he took this object he was handed and he checked it against the truth. And then he exchanged the lie for the real thing, right? And that's what you and I have to become experts at. No, no, I'm sorry. I'm going to check that thing, man. I'm not just going to let thoughts just roll through my mind. I'm going to stop these things in the midst of those of the track they're headed on. And I'm going to go ahead and check it against the truth and go ahead and exchange the truth or the lie for the truth, for the real thing, right? And so I want you to know tonight, God's heart for you and I is to really walk in this transformed narrative, to stop living the way we used to. And maybe in this series, in these seven weeks, we didn't bring up your narrative. That's okay. Because whatever your struggle is, whatever your thing is, there are truths in God's words that combat it and tell you what the actual truth is. And we want you to grab a hold of those things. One more thing, as Paul wraps up here, that you and I probably wouldn't normally have in our prison or even just in life at all, but we want. He says, is important this in verse 12. He says, I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being con- content in every situation. Paul, you're in prison, bro. I learned the secret of being content. Whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want, I can do all this through him who gives me strength. And every time we talk about this verse, we have to talk about how it's the most misunderstood verse in the Bible. And every athlete out there believes he's going to win the Super Bowl because he knows that verse. Shut up. You're not going to win, bro, okay? Instead, what it means is, whether you have a little bit, but you have Jesus, you're okay. And if you have a lot, you won't turn it into Jesus. You won't try to turn it into God because you already have the real thing. And if you are in prison or out of prison, you're okay because you can be content because you have Jesus. You see, what Paul's inner narrative did not say in these verses was, I'm never getting out of here. This is my life. What a waste of time. Why am I stuck in here? God wants me out there transforming the world and I'm stuck here chained to these guards. He would not have changed one person's life like that. Can we just recognize this in ourselves? He wouldn't have changed one person's life like that while he was stuck in his prison. And I'm telling you, right now, some of us are in our prison, so to speak, and we are believing those, those lies. And we will not change anyone's lives as long as we think God can't use us until we get out of the prison. But when you begin to change the inner narrative, and Paul can say, right in the middle of it all, I'm okay. In fact, I'm rejoicing. I'm sharing who Jesus is. I'm praying, and I have this crazy peace. I'm gentle in the midst of a hostile environment and God is using me powerfully. I'm telling you right now, God can use you in the same way. And so what I hope you're getting out of all this is that God will use you powerfully as you preach to your soul. See, that's the beauty of this is, yes, throughout this series, we have talked about freedom that we will find as we preach to our soul. And that is important. But I hope you are now getting a vision 
for God using you powerfully in the lives of others. You see, Paul was preaching to those guards every day, but the most important he was, person he was preaching to was his own soul every day, that Jesus was still good, that on day five in the prison and day 365 in the prison and day 600 in the prison, Jesus was still good, still the risen Savior, still the hope of the world. And you and I have to keep on preaching the truth to our soul. If you're not sure what that means, we would love to walk with you. We would love to encourage you. We'd love to help you find some verses. We have some Bibles out at the end of us. We have some, these little books called God's Promise Books that have some verses kind of just outlined according to theme. We would love to get you set up with somebody who could help you and encourage you in your faith. The friend that brought you might be the person to do that. But we're so, so excited that you're here and you are hearing tonight about this God, this Savior, this one who makes us whole and who loves us so much. He sacrificed everything for us. And so this is really important this week because next Sunday, a bunch of people are willing to come to church. And our church is great at inviting people. And I think we had 600-something people here at Christmas. Praise God, how awesome. We're really good at inviting people, but now it's time to step up on the week after Easter. What do I mean by that? You see, my prayer is that we will be a bunch of people whose inner narratives are so strong in God that when people show up and put their trust in him next week, we will be right alongside with them, helping them get further. Think about a baby, right? You would never leave a baby trying to take its first steps alone, right? And sometimes that's what we do when people put their trust in Jesus. We, we let them take their first steps alone. And before we know, you know, maybe they've fallen and maybe they've stumbled and maybe they've given up trying to walk this thing out. And my prayer is that we as a church would be a church full of people ready to, it's called discipling them, ready to come alongside them and pour into them. And God will use this powerfully. And I don't want where you are to, think, to, to make you think you can't do it. I don't want where you are in life and your struggles and what you're battling to make you think that you're not equipped. And we have a team of people ready to go for this, but here is a vision that I hope you'll catch on to. My prayer is that when your friends come to know Jesus, when your family, when your coworkers, when the people you go to school with come to know Jesus in this next season, you will be the one to walk with them. A few weeks ago, I called one of our second-time guests, and I just thanked her for coming, and, and she had checked off on the back of her connection card that she recently put her trust in Jesus. And I said, we are so excited. That's amazing. We want to help you out. If we can, we'd love to connect you with somebody that can help you in the beginning of your relationship with Jesus, just learn a little about what prayer is and reading the Bible. Just someone that could care for you and that will be there for you. And she said right back to me, thank you so much, but I want you to know something. The friend that invited me is already doing that. Yes, yes, that's the heart. That's the mission. However many people in this room tonight, you are each and every one of you a potential discipler. Each and every one of you, someone that can walk alongside somebody else who needs somebody so badly who just loves them and cares for them. And maybe you don't have all the answers and you don't have a degree in theology. That's okay. We just need a caring, godly presence in these people's lives. And when you have an inner narrative that is healthy in God, you can walk into the room with that person and truly help them. And you can be yourself and you can be real about your struggles, but ultimately at the end of the day, you will point them closer to Jesus. Let's just wrap things up here tonight. Are you gonna be the kind of person, I pray, for the rest of your life that preaches God's truth to your soul? Are you gonna be the kind of person that catches the old inner narrative playing and stops it 
and begins to say, I'm sorry, I'm not, you're not allowed in here anymore. I'm going to stick to the truths of God. And my prayer is that with Andrew and Joey's help, and I so appreciate these guys doing such an amazing job as they spoke, I pray that something happened. I pray that we didn't just preach to you, but we taught you to preach to yourself. And I pray that that will be a foundation that you'll take with you for the rest of your life. Because we have more power over what we think about than we realize. A few weeks ago, driving with my family, I guess a few months ago now, and all of a sudden my man Landon here is, is gagging in the back. I'm like, here we go. I said, Landon, what's the matter? I think it's stomach virus or something. He goes, I'm just thinking about something really, really gross. <laughs> I said, Landon, stop thinking about it, man. We started talking about baseball. Next thing you know, he's not gagging anymore. He's good, right? Because he just changed what was going on. I got to tell you guys something, right? Some of us, our souls are gagging on impurity. Our souls are gagging on fear and worthlessness and depression. And man, if we would only stop that train of thinking and replace it with a real thing, with the truth of God, everything would change. Will you be a germ or a big old dose of vitamin C? My friend Dave Kaba and I grew up going to the same church. And this guy was always an amazing big dose of vitamin C. Love Jesus, life of the party, fun and funny guy, always encouraging other people. But if his last name sounds familiar, that's because we've been praying for his daughter, Gabby Kaba, for about two years now. And she's fighting for her life. And this is a picture of Dave and his teenage daughter, Gabby. And they've been to every doctor they know to go to. They've flown all over the place. They've had every procedure done that they can have done. And she's fighting for her life. And I cannot imagine for a half second what it's like to be Dave right now. I can't imagine his brokenness. I can't imagine how sad he must be. But here's what I can tell you about Dave Kava is that he is still a huge dose of vitamin C. He is still walking into every room he walks into, real, real about his pain, real about how hard this is, but he's carrying the presence of God into every room he goes into. And recently on Facebook, he wrote this. Here's a warning. I may become a scripture quoting machine in the weeks ahead. And then he wrote Psalm 68, 28. Summon your power, God, show us your strength. Our God, as you have done before. Dave, how can you do this? You are in the worst prison imaginable. How can you be this right now? He can be this right now because his soul is full of the truths of God. His soul is full of who Jesus is, of this amazing love that he has for him, of this amazing God that has written the most amazing love story of all time. And even in the midst of his prison, he can not only be okay to encourage his own soul, but he can continue to be used powerfully by God. And that's the potential for you and I. God will use you powerfully as you preach to your soul. If you're not a follower of Jesus here, in Christian circles, today is called Palm Sunday. It's the day Jesus rode into town and everybody worshipped him. But only a few short days away, he would be brutally murdered on a cross. And he did that and endured that because he loves you and he loves me. And as we're going to celebrate at the end of the week, he rose again. And we're going to talk about that in the weeks to come. We're going to talk about that next week and the following week. And we're going to talk about how we know that's true and that's real and that's something we can count on. But I hope today, if there's anyone who's ready to put your trust in Jesus, that you would pray with me in just a minute. But let's change our lives, guys. Don't let this just be a seven-week block of your time. Let this be the way we now live. 
Because the truth is, God will use you powerfully as you preach to your soul. Let's pray together. God, we come tonight longing to be people who are used, God. Longing to be people who are living for something bigger than ourselves, God, who are able to make an impact, God. We love the people that we go to school with. We love the people that we work with. We love the people, God, that we go home to tonight, that we live next to, that we hang out with, God. We love these people. We care for them. And even those maybe we don't love, God, they still need you. And so, God, I pray you will give us an entire perspective change, Lord, that we would no longer just let the inner narrative be what it's been our whole life, but, God, it would be healthy so we could be used by you. And God, in the midst of our prison, I just pray, God, that you will help us realize you might want to use us while we're here right now. And God, I believe that prison doors fly open. I believe you do those miracles. But God, while we're here, would you still use us, God? Would you empower us? Would you let us have such a sense of your presence that the Lord is near, that God, we will be able to, in the darkest of jail cells, still look at the person we're chained to and preach to them? as we preach to ourselves. If you're a follower of Jesus, I would ask you to just pray about your own ability, empowered by God, to walk into the room this week and bring his spirit. And if you're not a follower of Jesus and you wanna put your trust in him, I would love for you to pray with me right now. You could just pray something like this. Jesus, today I realize I need you. Today I realize that I need you to make me whole. I need you to forgive me for my sin, God. I thank you for all that you've done for me. I don't deserve it. But today I put my trust in you. And I ask that you will make yourself so real to me, God. And God, place some of the people, even here tonight in this room, around me to help me get closer to you. If you pray that for the first time tonight, I would just love to be praying for you this week. And so I just ask you to very quickly just glance up at me real quick. Let me make eye contact with you. Awesome. Anybody else? Thank you, God. Jesus, praise you for those today who put their trust in you. God, please keep them close to you and help us as a church come around them and love them well. Your name we pray.